Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good afternoon, everybody. If I can get everyone's attention, we're going to begin the session just after I introduce myself and give you a few housekeeping. So my name is Jen Prosser. I'll be your moderator this afternoon uh, for this very special talk and happy International Women's Day, just uh, to start the day off. So we're going, to, um, we're going to be hearing from Auburn Phillips on International Women's Day, assessing women's status in Canada, past, present, and future, is gender equality being achieved? Auburn recently completed her MA in Women and Gender Studies at the University of Lethbridge, and she conducts research with adolescent girls examining the relevance and importance of women-specific high school curricula for girls. She also has conducted research with First Nations post-secondary students and has done research in and advocated for the ending of violence against women. Auburn currently works as the School of Graduate Studies Program Specialist at the University of Lethbridge. So we're very excited that she's here today. And just a quick few housekeeping rules before we get started and before she comes up to the podium. A reminder to please turn your cell phones off. We wouldn't want any interruptions during her fantastic talk. Uh, we also, of course, have the fee of $10 for lunch today. So please uh, be, be uh, courteous and put your money in the basket in the center of the table early so we don't have to come harass you a little bit later on. Uh, SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization, and we rely on the contribution of members and session attendees. So we do thank you very much for being so willing to, to pay for the lunch today and for every session that you attend. We'd also like to thank our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering, of course, for a fantastic lunch, Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions, and the Lethbridge Media in general for covering SACPA events. We'll be, uh, listening, we'll be having Auburn come up for 25 to 30 minutes. Following that, we'll have lunch where you guys can engage in discussion. And then we'll be having question period from 1 p.m. to 1.30. Of course, if you do have any questions, be sure to jot them down as she's speaking. And we will want all questions to be kept to the point and, uh, and a straightforward question being asked. So thank you very much. And I think that that is it for me right now. And I will invite Auburn up, and everyone should give her a very warm reception. Thank you for having me here today. It's really quite an honor. Um, as a young scholar, I, I'm still getting used to this whole being asked to present, so thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my talk today is obviously an extremely broad topic, so it's going to be a bit of a brief overview to begin with, just to give you a bit of a history on the International Women's Day and then on the, the status of women in Canada, how we've got to where we are now. But my main focus is going to be on that, where are we now, and what does it mean for girls? Um, uh, all across the world, International Women's Day this year is celebrating connecting girls and inspiring futures. That is the international topic. And it's something I'm super passionate about. I think girls are really underestimated in our society, and having worked with them over the last couple of years, I really feel proud to have, have met many of the girls that I worked with. So, um, Do I just push the button to push it forward? Great. This one? Okay. There we go. Technical difficulties. 
Um, so International Women's Day has been celebrated since 1911. Uh, it was first celebrated in Austria, Denmark, Switzerland, and Germany, and has since expanded to be celebrated all over the world. There's kind of a misconception, I find, uh, talking to people when they hear the word International Women's Day, or the phrase, they seem to think that it means we're celebrating minority women in Canada. And what it actually is, is an international celebration across almost all countries in the world. Um, after the first International Women's Day in 1911, just a week later, uh, what has become, become known as the Triangle Fire happened. And in this fire, over 140 young women were killed. Um, they were mostly aged 16 to 23. And this fire, while not the original focus of the first International Women's Day, became a focus of many subsequent International Women's Days. And it, it remains important. Um, it uh, was it, the re the reason it's so significant is because the fire really spurred workers' rights uh, protests and got people very interested in that because the women who died in the fire died because they were locked in by managers. They were working in a shirtwaist factory and they were on the eighth, ninth, and tenth floors and were locked in because the managers thought that they would be stealing if if they weren't locked in. And then this fire happened, and over 140 women died. So it remains important, but of course, International Women's Day is, is more than that. Um, we tend to be quite anti-war, and definitely for women's solidarity. Um, there, there seems to be sometimes in our everyday lives, women are, are not encouraged to support each other, and International Women's Day really encourages that. Um, so it is a global day, as I mentioned, and it's, it's really in the past been for vigilance in gaining and maintaining women's equality. Today, it continues to be rec recognized internationally, and the shift has been more to celebration of the gains made rather than uh, working so much for new gains. But the fact remains is that uh, women don't necessarily have in fact, definitely don't have perfect equality with men. Um, so there's definitely that aspect to it still. But the tone of International Women's Day has become much more of a, a celebration. Um, and we do have corporate and government participation in the event these days, as well as a very strong online presence, which nowadays is, is huge. And there are thousands of events held worldwide, and some of them are so exciting. So these are just an example Examples of a few of them. I think the Arctic Women's Challenge happening today in Norway is pretty cool. Um, there's a drama production going on in Trinidad and Tobago. And you can see a few other examples there. Uh, so there's a lot of diversity and creativity in celebrating International Women's Day. And I think that's absolutely key because women are just that. Diverse, creative, all kinds of different people coming from different backgrounds. So I'm just going to move into a quick um, overview of the history of women's status in Canada. We didn't get the federal vote until 1918. That's less than 100 years ago. And tying in with the, the topic or the theme of, of girls, a lot of girls don't realize that. And I think it's really a significant thing that, that they understand how far we've come in such a short period of time. The Persons Act in 1929 recognized women as legally persons rather than things or animals, I presume. Um, 
oral contraceptive was legalized in 1969, so women were, be able, were able to finally have a, a control over when they were going to be bearing children. Federal maternity leave came in in 1971. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms came in in 1982. And then we saw the Montreal Massacre, which was a devastating uh, moment in women's history in 1989. Uh, women were specifically targeted in this event event, that's not a very good word, but uh, because they were in engineering school and the young man who shot these women felt that if women weren't allowed, he would have got into that school, but as it happened, he didn't and was very upset about it, so decided to deal with it by killing several women. Uh, and we've had a bit of a backslide more recently. Um, the status of Women Canada funding was cut in 2008. And this resulted in the closure of several of their offices. But on the plus side, we have amazing female athletes in Canada. And we had 15 medals won in the Olympics in 2010. And while there's there's definitely been some struggles in women's rec representation in sports. We nevertheless have really amazing athletes in our country that we can be absolutely proud of. And then there's the Highway of Tears, which has been a problem from 1969, perhaps earlier, and continues to be a problem today. Hundreds of Aboriginal women have been killed on this highway um, or missing presumed dead. And this is something that's not really been addressed adequately by the authorities, and it's only becoming apparent more recently, even though it's been happening since 1969. So we've come a long way, but there are many, many issues that we face still. Um, I think we should be proud of being Western Canadians because a lot of the advances in women's rights happened here first. Um, Manitoba was the first province to give the vote in 1916, followed by Saskatchewan and Alberta in 1917. And I, I have to say my relationship with my grandmothers is really, um, really proud that Western, Western women brought this to Canada first. All the other provinces followed, with Quebec being last in 1948, which is slightly alarming, or really alarming. Another really cool highlight, going back to sports, is the Edmonton grads, the women's basketball team. They have the highest winning percentage of all time in North America. Um, they won, I don't even know how many, but years and years consecutively won games uh, between 1915 and 1940. And then the famous five, many of those women, I, I hope you know who they are. Many of them are from Alberta and uh, Western Canada, and I think we need to be really, really proud of that as well. So getting into women's status in Canada presently, I'm going to talk about three major issues. Violence against women is uh, very dear to my heart. It's, it's an area I've worked in since I was uh, 20. And childcare, I don't have kids yet, but I think that it's, it's absolutely a very important issue, and political representation. So beginning with violence against women, we actually have really excellent laws against violence against women and against sexual assault. However, we have very few reports actually being made because the system is not always welcoming to women who have suffered these incidences, and we have fewer convictions. Um, some would say that violence against women is rampant in this country. Um, 
Less than a quarter of incidents of spousal abuse are reported to police. This information is coming from Stats Canada, by the way. Um, women are three times more likely than men to be murdered by their spouse. And disabled women are very likely to be assaulted. Also, Aboriginal women. I couldn't find the date, data on Stats Canada, so I didn't want to put it up, but I know... Um, anecdotally, perhaps, that Aboriginal women are subjected to violence very, very regular. And there's also a significant amount of shaming and disrespect of abused women, where they seek help, they seek shelter, and they're patronized, perhaps, or not given the help they need because maybe they're low income or whatever, they're seen as less deserving of the help that I, I believe they actually do deserve. So the next issue that I think is, and there are many issues, I only chose three because, my God, half an hour isn't really adequate to cover. So uh, moving on to child care. Um, we, have, we have, perhaps you could call it decent um, child care rights in Canada. Um, many other countries offer much better. But we do have maternity leave available for 50 weeks in which the income is reduced to 55% of what the woman was making beforehand. And more recently, paternity leave is allowed for 35 of those 50 weeks. So uh, fathers are allowed to stay home with the kids. The, the parents can decide which, which one is going to stay home. But by comparison, Lithuania offers one year at 100% of the income. And Sweden offers 16 months of maternity leave at 78% of their income. Another country that's really interesting is Norway. Uh, they had a similar offering as Sweden, 56 weeks at 80%. That's what they have now. But uh, about two years ago, they offered three years. And people argued that this was not a good thing because it encouraged women not to go back into the workforce, which and Norway is considered a very forward-thinking country in regards to gender equality, but um, as much as I believe women should have the right to be in the workforce, of course, we also need to recognize that their, their labor at home is very important. And I think that mothers work, obviously, in Norway. They're, they're saying that work in the home is not so important. And in Canada as well, compared to some of the countries we see, women's labor is not really valued. In fact, um, I, I can't think of the specific document, but Marilyn Waring speaks to this. And in a governmental document, it says that women's labor is of little, or not women's labor, it's household labor is of little to no importance in Canada. So moving on to political representation, which is quite bleak as well. Um, we do have a female premier here in Alberta, and we have uh, a federal party leader as a female as well. However, this looks positive. Canada ranks 50th in the world for political representation by women. Uh, Rwanda is the, the closest to parity. Uh, Sweden and other Nordic countries are up there, but Canada is 50th in the world. And uh, BC Premier Christy Clark's outfit, I don't know if any of you heard about this, but uh, she, she wore... 
I, I really hesitated to put the picture in here, and I decided to go ahead. I didn't want to bring more attention to her appearance because it's already happened, but I decided to go ahead and do it. Um, is Premier Clark's cleavage revealing attire appropriate for the legislature? Perhaps a better question would be, is Premier Clark's stat, uh, status on this political issue something we should be concerned about? No, we're going to look at her, her boobs. <laughs> but we have to acknowledge that this kind of comment is taking the focus away from her ideas, her brain, her politics, and whether you agree with her politics or not, her cleavage is irrelevant. <laughs> and on top of this, these kind of comments against the few women, as I said, only 23%, the few women that we actually have in, in politics right now, could be very, hearing these types of comments could be very discouraging to young women thinking about getting into that field. So if we want to see a higher representation of women in politics, this kind of stuff isn't really helpful. So moving into kind of what, what I really like to think about, and, and I do believe the history is very, very important, but I'm really excited about the future. Um, are we there yet? Not really. There's been quite a backslide and some backslash. A real problem these days is the sexualization of girls. Um, internet, the, I find the internet to be a... a I don't, I don't want to say I'm endorsing internet, the, the bill that's being passed right now, because I don't at all. But um, I think it enables people to really say inappropriate things without being held accountable for those things. I don't know if any of you ever read comments on videos or news articles or whatever, but I, I feel sick to my stomach sometimes reading the things that people say about girls and women. And uh, so that anonymity is a real problem. And there tends to be a bit of a false sense of empowerment around sexualization. So girls may get temporary or superficial power or empowerment through being sexy. Uh, they may be approved of by the guys in their classroom that, that hold the key to whatever is cool right now or, or something like that. So there's a, a problem going on where girls, not all girls clearly, but are faced with a bit of a, a situation that they can only navigate by being sexy and sexualizing themselves and allowing others to sexualize them. And I think that's a serious problem. And I'm not going to go into this, uh, but boys are certainly not experiencing freedom from gender expectations either. In fact, sometimes they are... Uh, oh, I'm having trouble pulling the words out of the air today, but you know, they're really disapproved of for, for being gay, acting gay, or whatever. Guys don't have the flexibility that girls do. We can still wear skirts, but guys certainly can't. They'd be absolutely humiliated for that in high school. So I conducted a research study over the last two years with adolescent girls. Um, I did a case study of Vista View. This is a pseudonym because I have to protect the anonymity of my participants. Uh, women's studies class. So Vista View High is the only high school in Alberta that offers women's studies to their students. And the class can be taken by boys or girls, but it is 
focused on women's issues. So to conduct the research, I had many qualitative conversations with current students, uh, in-depth interviews with the students, multiple interviews with the same students to really get a sense of how they felt about the class. I also did focus groups and interviewed a few of the involved female adults, such as the teacher of the class. I also got supplemental surveys from past students um, to get a, a bit of a, a timeline on it or a longitudinal analysis, as we say in, in the university world, uh, just to understand if things were somewhat consistent. Of course, it's a very small study and, and much more research needs to be done. Uh, but having said that, it was, it was really wonderful for me. I really enjoyed spending the time with the girls. I also did some hallway observations, and I uh, interacted with many of the school members as a part of the research. So the class... Sorry about that. The class uh, was designed to fill gaps in the existing curricula. And some of these gaps, you may or may not be surprised to hear, were uh, leaving women's bodies out of the science textbooks because the classes would get out of hand because it was funny. Um, leaving women's history out of the social textbooks. Not examining social is issues faced by women in Canada, in that community, and women around the world. So the class included these things. So it filled those gaps. And uh, like I said, I, I did a case study, so I don't have comparative data for other high schools, but I would predict or, or speculate that other high schools have these same gaps and, and problems with, with missing those key issues that are so important for girls to know about. Uh, beyond just teaching, though, the class facilitated discussion, exploration, and personal growth. And here, I just, I so much wanted to, when I was doing this presentation, I ended up redoing it because I, I didn't know if it was appropriate to include girls' comments, and I don't know why I thought that. I was nervous a while ago, and now I've decided absolutely what they had to say was the most important thing about what I did um, and, and what they do. All I did was talk to them. They do so much. And I think the top one is, is really excellent. It kind of sums up what so many of the girls said to me. I think now that we've taken women's studies, we feel more confident that we're women and it's okay. It's okay to be a woman. And the next one is, it almost brings tears to my eyes. Um, a young woman fa finally found the confidence to remove herself from a violent relationship and report her boyfriend to the police. So the benefits behind this class were enormous. Um, I was, when I entered the research, I hoped that the benefits would be good. That was what my hypothesis was. But it was really exciting for me to sit down with those girls and hear just how enormous the benefits were. They experienced an increase in confidence. They learned relevant new knowledge. And they felt solidarity and camaraderie. And there was a real significant piece to this, this doubleness. They, they had the knowledge and they had the support. Because sometimes if you have the knowledge but you don't have the support, it's hard to really push through. And if you have all the support but you don't know what you're talking about, that's not helpful either. So what the girls found was that they 
could, they could stand up to their teachers, they could stand up to the boys who were harassing them, and other girls who were in the class with them were right there, there for them, right, right behind them saying, yeah, you leave her alone, you can't talk to her like that. And they needed this kind of support. Uh, one of the comments that was made to them by their principal was that he wished he was teaching in Afghanistan where girls weren't allowed to go to school. And they turned around and said, that's really sexist and you're not allowed to say things like that to us. And I think a lot of young women maybe wouldn't even, even have the word sexist right on the tip of their tongue and be able to call him out on it like that. Um, and as I mentioned, that, that solidarity, you can see in the quote, I found that in that class we were all a group, not just individual. We were all together learning the same things and feeling the same stuff. And I think in a class where you're learning um, things like women were beaten as they were trying to get the vote, you know, there's some emotional aspects to that, and having each other's support was really, really important. They, the girls said some days they cried in class, and it was, it was really good that they were crying together and that they all understood it on the same level. So I have a few more quotes here because, like I said, I think that's really the crux of what my research was about. Um, the girls were inspiring, and I, I really do feel honored that, that they allowed me into their school and, and allowed me to hear their stories. So women's studies made me more passionate about learning. It made me want to be a strong, intuitive, well-informed, and successful woman. How many 16-year-olds do you hear saying that? I think this is so exciting. I learned skills necessary to be strong and proud of being female. Parts of the class helped me with my own personal self-esteem issues. And maybe my favorite is that we're all a little bit more strong-minded than people expect. And this one really rings true with me because I'm... I'm not that much older than girls, but enough older that there's quite a difference between us. I'm 25, and uh, I still get that. I'm way too strong-minded for a lot of people's uh, tastes, and uh, it takes people aback when I stand up for myself, and um, I think having that advantage of them not expecting it is, is sometimes a good thing. But at the same time, I wish that everyone expected all girls to, be, to have that kind of strength. So that's it for my presentation. I really did want to leave it on this note with the girls' um, words, but we have certainly made great strides. There were huge leaps in women's rights through the 1900s, but legal equality does not equal true equality, and there are certainly different oppressions affecting different women. For example, race may intersect with their gender to make them doubly oppressed. At the same time, we can't uh, believe that those women don't have strong inner strengths as well. Um, the illusion of having made it can lead to a taking it for granted or a disregarding of past struggles. And, of course, young women are facing new challenges that we weren't even thinking about in the early 1900s. Um, the internet, I think, is bringing up some, some really problematic things. But those young women are are facing those challenges with the tools provided by the earlier generations. And this is something that I find really inspiring, is that young women and old women have a lot in common. And the more we interact and lean on each other, the better, the better we can make the world and our own lives.
Thank you.